Thank you, worship team. So, just to enjoy the time of worship this morning, just glorifying our God. And now, Ryan is going to share for us this morning. As I said earlier, Ryan's from Durbanville. And uh, I've met Ryan on a couple of occasions, and I must say every time that I was in his presence, I always felt comfortable, because he loves Jesus, and it shows. And uh, I trust this morning that you will also enjoy that overflow of of just his relationship with, with God this morning. And so, Father, we just lift up Ryan to you this morning, Lord. Give him wisdom, give him the knowledge, Lord. Show him, Holy Spirit, guide him this morning, Lord. And uh, that the power of your word will come through, Lord. And that each and every heart here this morning will experience that. In Jesus' precious name we pray that. Amen. Thank you, Donnie. I don't mind notes here to introduce my lovely wife. But she's been introduced and she is a mom. Thanks to me. <laughs> Three times. If it was up to me, it would have been seven or eight. <laughs> I love kids. I love kids. Um, I, I did want to say it was an unbelievable morning so far, and I, I hope I don't ruin it. <laughs> um, I did feel in worship for each and every person, though, and very, very strongly. Almost a, a prophetic word coming for the congregation. And it's around when the music fades. Um, another um, word for worship is devotion. And when the music's off, we need to switch, switch from worship to a life devoted to the King. Um, in the prayer time outside, we were praying earnestly that there would be a physical uh, sign of our devotion to the King. An outworking of not just the beautiful love songs we sing and how that, that creates something in us when we're worshipping, but that God never turns off the music in our hearts. And I was recently, not recently, when I, when I got given Durbanville PM, or asked to, to lead it, um, the Lord did something amazing with me. And he plays a, heart, a song on my heart every morning. Like when I wake, when my eyes open, um, there's a worship song coming out of my heart. And, and that tends to be my theme for the day. And I just want to encourage you in that. You know, we can come and this may be the only time when we get up and we jump around and we dance for the king, where there's a real stirring because we're, in this moment, we're inviting a a deeper relationship with the king. The truth is that relationship is there 24-7. It should be there 24-7. And who spoke about God being a gentleman? You all... You all know um, the verse around God knocks and it's up to us to go and open the door. That's how much a gentleman he is. Um, But that needs to happen in our devotion as well as a congregation. So I want to urge you in that. Don't only seek for him here or that deeper time, that intimate time for him here. Allow him, allow the door to remain open. I, I had a picture of a stable door. Not uh, uh, a glass door with trelly door and all the rest of it, but that there was this continuous open door um, on your life. And there was this deeper search for you, for something more with Him, more than you have. And we're going to talk a little bit about having little yet looking for more or being able to do so much more. But for you as a congregation, there needs to be a, a, 
a deeper search. And I, I felt when we were worshiping that everyone was having a beautiful waltz with the king. And actually, he wanted to do a flourish. He wanted to do a twirl, or he wanted you to fall back. You know, we the bride. You picture a bride on the wedding day doing the first dance. And I, I felt that for you. I really felt that for you. And like our expectation often is just, just a waltz, and it's beautiful. But actually there's a, a looking for more and allowing him more in our life as we go deeper with him. So I want to push the guys especially. I was a, an anti-worshipper when I joined the church. I mean, I used to sit at the back with my arms crossed. Lord knows my heart. Inside, I'm worshiping. But there's so much more. There's so much more. Let our lives be an outward sign of devotion to Him. Amen. Sorry, that was so off where I was going. So I wanted to start today with the story of inconvenience. A story of young men called in a time to war and hostility. And how through their stories, God has shown me um, to share something with you guys here at Brackenfell. And I too remember a very inconvenient time. I don't know if any of you have been conscripted in the army. Any of you do military service? One, two... Okay, so I was part of one of the last intakes in the country, um, a season of fark puns and excessively hard PT sessions. Um, for some it was a border war, um, some domestic intervention locally, and some just a duty to our country. All of it was terribly inconvenient, yet also for most, it wasn't our call to make, whether we go or not. And what has that got to do with today's share? Absolutely nothing. Other than our duty and our serving our country was nothing like wartime back in the day. And I'm talking about the time of David, Gideon, and Jonathan. We all know the story of David and his rise one of the most popular and well-known Bible stories. Um, one where we see a man of great faith take on one of the fiercest opponents of that time, Goliath. And we know of the end and we know of the victory, yes? And we also know of him getting to the victory, there was some opposition. No one encouraged him. They said he was too young, didn't have the right armor. Regarding Goliath, he's too big and too strong for you. You are not experienced enough. Even the king who he bowed to questioned his ability. And then I got in big and bold. David was 15 when he defeated Goliath. In self-encouraging himself towards the win, um, David remembered his previous victories, the, the fight with the lion and the bear when he was a shepherd, and resolutely decided he was going to cling to courage from God instead. He decided to shake off all discouragement from all others. That was David. And then I wanted to mention Gideon. In the book of Judges, we read, when Gideon hears he will save the Israelite people from their oppressors, he doesn't really believe it at first. So we read of him testing God. First, he requires God to put you on a fleece he lays out instead of dew on the ground. And then he asks for the opposite, a dry fleece, 
and a wet ground. And then once more, the opposite again. Quite clearly a lack of faith or procrastination. A little bit later, we read of God wanting Gideon to bring an army to take on the enormous Midianite army. He ends up bringing 32,000 men to a fight. And although not even 32,000 was as big as the Midianite army, they were about 135,000 people. Gideon obviously reckons this was a comfortable number behind him, comfortable enough for him to lead the charge with. And then we read God, however, had other plans for him. He decides to put Gideon to his own series of tests. Pretty much what Gideon did to him in the beginning. First, he makes Gideon send home anyone who is afraid. 35,000 against 135,000. It turns out 22,000 of his men was too much. Had their doubts and head out the door. Now with 10,000 left, God makes them drink water of which only 300 of the men drank water putting their hands first to their mouths. The other 9,700 knelt to drink are sent home. God slowly whittling down Gideon's safety net. With just 300 men now, Gideon knows he has to rely on God for the victory. And then even another twist. It's even apparent that God is not finished. Gideon and his army in the end didn't even have to invade or attack to wipe out the Midianites. After all that, God has them create as much noise as possible by blaring trumpets and clanging jars. And this confuses the men in the Midianite camp, and they end up killing each other in the chaos. <laughs> After all that. But my story today is really around Jonathan. And Jonathan, through similar trials in 1 Samuel, just a bit of a back story first, if you're not aware. So you know that David served under Saul? Wasn't the best boss to have at that time. And Saul was appointed king by Samuel. Looked the part, most handsome, stood ahead, taller than anyone else in the room. But with all those good looks, that apparently doesn't make you smarter. And we read of him making a mistake, and he attacks a garrison, an outlying fortification. And in retaliation, we see the Philistines pouring over the border back and coming into Israel, wanting to take over. And they created the stronghold in a place called Michmash. Remember that word. I wanted to show you pictures. Didn't have any. Um, imagine Cedarburg, Montague, very hilly, rocky terrain, little growth, very vertical. And these Philistines were so fierce that the Israelites were forced to flee into caves. Saul was asked to wait by Samuel, but Saul was impatient. Men deserting left and right. His army of 3,000 reduced to 600. So Saul, in his desperation, ended up making a sacrifice himself, not waiting for the prophet. And Samuel comes and rebukes Saul. Saul showing his weak character, not wanting and trusting in the Lord to do a work. Sound familiar to the other guys? But by forcing the hand of the Lord himself. So the Lord now seeks out a man after his own heart. A person that does what God cares for. A person that does things the way the Lord wants. And the story continues. And I wrote here, my first Afrikaans word of the day 
It looks like nach. The end for the Israelites. So we pick up in 1 Samuel 13, 16 to 23. I just want to see if it's the same. Yes. So I'm going to read from here as well. If you can just follow me. Saul and his son Jonathan and the men with them were staying in Gebir in Benjamin while the Philistines camped at Michmash. Raiding parties went out from the Philistine camp in three detachments. One turned towards Oprah in the vicinity of Shul, another towards Bethoron, and the third towards the borderland overlooking the valley of Seboim, facing the wilderness. Not a blacksmith could be found in the whole land of Israel, because the Philistines had said, otherwise the Hebrews will make swords and spears. So all of Israel went down to the Philistines to have their plow points, mattocks, axes and sickles sharpened. The price was two-thirds of a shekel for sharpening plow points and mattocks and a third of a shekel for sharpening forks and axes and for repointing goads. All interesting implements if you're a farmer. I needed to comment on the Philistine army that were invading them. The Philistine army was one of the greatest military forces at the time. They primarily used infantry, highly sophisticated in their strategies. They had chariotry, like horses and chariots. And we know they had archers. They even employed foreign troops, mercenaries, and possibly even cavalry. Samuel 13, verse 5. I don't know if I gave it, but I'll read it. And the Philistines mustered to fight with Israel 30,000 chariots and 6,000 horsemen and troops like the sand of the seashore in multitudes. So that's two guys per chariot, 60,000. Plus 6,000 horsemen. That's makes 66,000, and that's before we start counting the grains on the beach. The Philistines use their military superiority to prevent the Israelites from developing their own metalworking industry, gaining an economic advantage, as well as preventing the Israelites from producing their own metal weapons. The archaeological record that we see confirms that the Philistines indeed enjoyed a technolo technological advantage for that time. Back to verse 22. So on that day of the battle, not a soldier with Saul and Jonathan had a sword or spear in their hand. Only Saul and his son Jonathan had them. Now a detachment of Philistines had gone out to the pass at Michmash. We jump ahead to 1 Samuel 14, 1-23. One day Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. Craziness? Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Aijah, who was wearing an ephod. He was the son of Ichabod's brother, Aitab, son of Phineas, the son of Elan, the Lord Priest of Shiloh. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff, one called Bezez and the other Senna. One cliff stood to the north towards Michmash, the other to the south towards Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor-bearer, Come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. And then we hear the armor bearers say, Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you, heart and soul. 
Jonathan said, come on then, we'll cross over towards them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and we'll not go up among them. But if they say, come up with us, we will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. It's not very good militarily. And the Philistines reply, look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. So Jonathan says to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area of about half an acre. And then God shows up. Then panic struck the whole army. Those in the camp in the field and those in the outposts and raiding parties and the ground shook. It was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gabir and Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were after him, Muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahijah, Bring the ark of God. At that time it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, Withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. And I loved this part. Those Hebrews who had previously been with the Philistines and had gone up with them to their camp went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. What started off as an act of boldness caused even those that had swapped sides to return. Verse 22, When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot pursuit. So on that day the Lord saved Israel and the battle moved on beyond Beth Avon. And just a note, Jonathan was only 18 at this time. To many you may be led to think the story is around Jonathan. It is and it isn't. Today I want you all to identify though with the armor bearer and his perspective of what he must have been going through and how it should overlay on us. You see, we need to know who our God is. Perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. We need to know that even a perhaps should be enough for us. Why is it we always wait for the finances or the stability or to hear from four prophets, three elders and our best friends, perhaps even our mom and dad, and then only do we start considering if this is the hand of God moving us in a direction. We need to see and know that God can work through anyone, even timid believers of little faith. God doesn't always choose from the boldest and most extroverted to lead or be used in his plans. God often works through believers who come from the least of us, just like the armor bearer. God wants us to trust him. God clearly doesn't allow people or <laughs> enjoy people hiding or testing him. Although he plays along often 
We see it with Gideon and the fleece tests. And when it comes to the actual battle, he refuses Gideon the, the comfort of a large army, reducing him to the bare essentials of 300 men. They know they have to rely on God for a victory. Even for Jonathan and his armor bearer, Jonathan throwing out the almost impossible backdoor clause. If they say this, we will go. And the same happens in our lives. We can often have various cushions that offer comfort. Maybe we have jobs that provide enough income for a cozy retirement. Perhaps we prefer to encourage others to step up into ministry or leadership roles we'd rather not fill ourselves. He's best for that job. Like Gideon, we can only try hide on the threshing floor for so long before God pulls us out of our comfort zones to do His amazing work. No matter what the case, God will reduce our numbers down to what? When is it low enough? Just you and me? You see, we need to let the courage in life be a testimony. We saw those in the story of Jonathan and his armor bearer that had originally fled, came back to the Lord's army. Courage can be contagious. Sometimes others need that courage in order to meet their battles head on. That's why we encourage fresh testimonies in church. They may need your faith in the Lord in order to find theirs. We need to not let our lifestyle contradict what we confess with our mouth. A little bit earlier, talking about worship and the, the love songs we sing. Do our lives represent something different to that? At no point did his armor-bearer pull back from what he believed. At no point did he speculate or consider going back or doing something different. Despite everything we see, we see a determination that went beyond the physical. Beyond physical provision. Beyond capacity. Swear word nowadays. Beyond capability. Beyond reason. Just a reminder for us here today. You put your hand up for service. Day you got saved. And you were given all the equipment needed for that task. God has already given us everything we need to live in this world and die. 2 Peter 1 verse 3. I think I got it. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of Him who called us by His own glory and goodness. We chose to be part of His story. His not our version. We, uh, a while ago, after we first joined Durbanville PM, I got introduced to Leonie. Do you know Leonie Brown? Uh, Rob's wife. She runs an art studio in Durbanville. And all of us as elders and deacons got together. And it was this funny left brain, right brain thing. You weren't allowed to draw anything that resembled anything. So it had to be just your, your, your feelings, your abstract on the art. And as much as you try to do that, you still try in that. Your shapes must look like shapes and your whatever. But it's this weird alcohol-based paint and... They don't tell you until you get to that stage, so you've got your best Picasso type thing. 
and then they take a hairdryer and they put it on the, the canvas and all the ink runs like <laughs> then anything that you were planning on that canvas doesn't resemble absolutely anything. And then what you do is they get up and they mix them up and they put a little book in front of the artwork and then the whole class or everyone moves around painting to painting asking for God to show them his, through his eyes what he's seeing in the picture. And then you write it in the book, turn over the page. So if you go to a painting, you don't see what the previous person has painted. And then at the end of the evening, you get your book back with your painting and you read through and you pick up common threads and you write out like a statement. And it is amazing that when God sees this mess that we, as much as we try to plan for it, we could never see The word is congruency, like that golden thread that he pulls through each person when he's speaking that delivers the same message. And it was an amazing evening, eh, huh? In that chaos in the picture, the alignment of word given is absolutely amazing. We try so hard to make things clear. We don't like the mess. A hard statement, one recently I, I heard Andrew mention in a meeting, and I believe of us today here as well. What is it to you? What do we do when our life or what we are facing is not how we imagined or painted it? What is it to you? I feel the Lord saying. And too often we experience this, Ryan. Or some of you are going, this is very encouraging, Ryan. But what is the answer? Thank you, Donnie. I hear Donnie going, but where are you taking us? Thank you. Great question. I'll share with you a current journey with myself, the team, and our family in Durbanville, just up the hill. It's with regards to our new building. Contractors are setting up shop, they've broken ground, and you see every time you drive past that, that building get bigger and bigger. And many of you and many others across Joshian have sowed into this building, have invested. And I want you to know I'm so excited for the new building and what it means is a lighthouse up there in Durbanville. I do need to tell you, however, that I don't believe we as Durbanville PM are going to call it home. I did have this meeting with my guys, by the way. You aren't the first year. Yes, we will be using it. We're a hub. It's going to be a great prize, other events, training. I do think that God has got other plans for us as a congregation, though. Different location, perhaps, even where we are now at the Achia is. Different times, maybe we become a morning congregation and then multiply and split. Coming into Durbanville PM, I never saw us actually going into the new building, despite having a congregation that, with everything they had, were so excited that they were going. I was actually part of a congregation. My, my roots are in Edgemead, Edgemead AM, where the very building in some ways, not always but many, actually stood in the way of some people. We can chat about that another time. 
coming into my new season, um, it was a Friday night um, two years ago, September, when Kim phoned me, Kim Miller, phoned me on a Friday night and said, hey bud, how's it going? I'm going, no, great, we love it here in Edgemead. Didn't say that, but that, and he said, won't you do me a favor? Um, would you and Tracy consider going to Dermaville PM to help us out? And uh, we were serving on a, a great team. We had lots of family. We had 200 friendships. We, had, we live in Edgemead. Our kids go to Edgemead. Our lives are settled. And I must inform you that I, know, I have known for a very long time, coming into full time about five years ago, that coming in, I have lost the right to say no to the things of God. And I said to Kim, sure, um, how much time do we have? Um, I'd like to process my family with it. And he says, how's Sunday night sound? <laughs> and at first it was, won't you just go help curate Durbanville PM while we process Chris? And it was, how long is curate? You know, and it's two weeks. Yeah, we can do two weeks. And two weeks happened, and four weeks, and a month happened, and two, three months. And I, I had, the, we had the Christmas period, and then January came, and I had a sit down with the directing elders. And um, waiting to hear, like, how bad we've done, and, you know that they're going to call us away again or send us back to Edgemead. And somewhere in our heart, we were glad for that. I mean, we were returning. We never gave up on the, that was our family. And he said, no. Um, Andrew said, um, that's going to be your home now. <laughs> You're clearly what the congregation needs. And then I heard God say to me, Sorry, I've jumped ahead. So with this new building in Durbanville, I, I always had this thing, like I, I would chat to Tracy often, I know, like I know, like I know we're not going to the new building. Like who do we tell, you know? We first sat down with the elders, and then we sat with the deacons, get leadership on board. This is what I'm sensing. You here. This is, I'm new here. You here. <laughs> and then I, one evening I heard the Lord say, you're making this statement again and again and again. You're no longer soft clay in my hands. During an elder's time a short while ago, I was shown another picture from him. Perhaps we are going to the new building. What if you misheard me? And then my heart started playing with me. I can see this. I can actually see us going to the new building. It's exciting. Now we're not setting up and we have our own sound equipment, comfortable chairs, all the rest of it. And I spoke to the elders, then the deeks again. And then recently to all our leadership about the possibilities of the new building. I started getting exciting again, getting excited again for a shiny new place, great acoustics, options around seating arrangements, beautiful AV and communication solutions, beautiful coffee shop, lack of kids and even a bribe facility. God's saying, what if I want you to go now? It'll be a great northern hub. AM, PM, Central, Brackenfell, having a place to call their own. And then just a few weeks ago, I had my accountability week, and I'm accountable to Russell, Kim, and Roland. And I normally meet on Monday, Wednesday, Friday in 
no order. That week was first Kim, then Russell, finishing with Roland. But first God clearly saying again, you are no longer soft clay in my hands. We're not going. We need to look for a new place. We're even needing to consider becoming an AM congregation again, even stronger feeling, so that we can build even stronger, wider. Sure. <laughs> to many, this may be confusing. I'm just putting my heart out there. Getting mixed signals. Perhaps not hearing correctly. I'm a lead elder. I mean, surely we hear clearly. Surely there's an anointing. Come on, Lord. And to me, God was impressing something far more important on my heart. And I realized God was not ne necessarily interested in the destination, dreams, and plans of man. He reminded me he's after our heart. He's after our hearts. Getting goose flesh. I don't think it's just cold. I heard God say to me, in this, I need you to be soft clay in my hands. In this, he won mine. He did win mine. I no longer hold the building in my hand with a closed fist, nor our destination. It would be great to have a new building. Just like it would be great to take a hill with 32,000 men, or possibly even 300. It would be great to have weapons of iron to fight the Philistines to help us conquer or hold positions. It would be great for us to have a level playing field. It would be great even to sit and wait, to stand back and see what transpires. You do that? Does it need to look safe? Does it need to look good before you take a leap? Not for us, I hear the Lord saying. What, it, what is it to you how my plan goes? What is it to you if my plans don't resemble yours? If I call, will you follow? He's wanting our obedience and our hearts this morning. This morning I wanted to ask about those that are called to follow. Those that know they belong, but okay with being unsure. I want to call all of us, each of us today, to be an armor bearer. You're called to be added to a place just like I am. You're called to be under leadership, just as I am. You're called to trust God that we have been added for a time. Don't know exactly what that is? It's okay. Leadership here will help you find it. Called to have faith as we walk in the next season but unsure of the challenges, it's okay. The unknown is where faith is given. Remember, we don't have to have faith to do the impossible. Otherwise, we would never move forward. We step forward and ask for faith to accomplish His will. It's not there before. What are you facing at your mikmash? Like David, are you being discouraged? Feeling disqualified? Like Gideon, feeling underprepared and tending to procrastinate and even test God 
Or are you justifying your position, your lack of growth, but secretly loving your comfort? Were you once an on-fire Christian, but finding recently your Christianity is hard and you've become unmoldable? The Lord may be requiring you today to step forward despite your lack of faith. Like the armor bearer, there is a choice. We can stay hidden in caves or choose to follow. Back to scripture. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearer said. Go ahead. I am with you. Lord, I am with you, heart and soul. yearning for him needs to be like birthplace. <laughs> I want to be soft clay. I want this despite not knowing many things. Say, Lord, I want to be still found in a place where you find me submissive. Always humble, pliable, in love with you and your ways. Anywhere, anytime, anyhow, use me. Seems like an impossible task sometimes. But our good father, the gentleman, has given us something to help us. He's given us an armor bearer. He's given us the Holy Spirit. In John 14, 15 to 16, If you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. Now, this is accessible to us as those who have chosen Jesus to be our Lord and Savior. Because it's Jesus who petitions the Father, who releases the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit is the executor of God's power at this time. And with every eye closed... Before accepting Jesus into your life, you're blind and deaf to the power of the Word. Unless God chooses in a moment to lift His hand before your face and you get to, to glimpse Him, you get to glimpse the requirement of accepting Jesus as Lord and Savior of your life. Accepting Jesus into your life gives you access to God, which in turn gives you the release of the Holy Spirit in your life. And I want to call out today, if the Lord is lifting His hand from your eyes, you don't have to know. There's a great unknown in this walk that you'll have. But if that's you today, you want to accept Jesus into your life. You want to take the first step, despite the unknown. Won't you raise your hand for me, please? I don't want to call you out. I want to pray with you. If that's you. Okay. 
And there's always a place of recommitment. There's always a place where having heard something fresh, not new, that word's been there for a long time. But where you hear something fresh, something not new, and you feel the Lord saying, I need to recommit. Father, I don't follow you. I don't choose to follow you in all things. I've chosen my way Monday to Saturday. And yes, I come on Sunday and I sing beautiful songs. But my life doesn't represent those songs when we walk out those doors. If that is you, I'll ask you to stand. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. In your own words, recommit. Recommit to what you've been called, what you raised your hands to. You've received the gift of the counsel of the Holy Spirit. Allow the Holy Spirit to minister in your heart right now. It's okay. It's okay. The battle up at McMash started with an armor bearer with one sword between them, standing and going, hearing the Lord say, that's where I need to go. Well done. Well done.